attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. As we get into this new age where machines potentially could be crafting buildings, what does craft mean? Does craft mean it's created by someone or is it an opportunity to rethink craft where the architect, even though they're potentially using a machine to create something, there could be craft as seen in the design itself and how something was assembled, even though we're not any longer being limited by the strength of a human body and what a number of humans can do added together to accomplish something. Welcome back to Context and Clarity, the place where authors, experts, and thought leaders come to have engaged conversations with entrepreneurial architects just like you. I'm Jeff Eccles, and every Tuesday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, my co-host Katie Kangas and I and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we all have a conversation with a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. Our fall season has started off with a bang. We've already had two great conversations, first with Carl Sergio and then Amanda Dunfield. And I think you're going to enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Mark Stanky. Mark is a principal at Plaid in Minneapolis, where the mantra is clarify, simplify, beautify. We start out talking about communication through construction documents, and then we wander into all types of topics like pencils versus emerging technology like artificial intelligence. Hang on to your hats as you listen in to this journey with Mark Stanky, principal at Plaid. Welcome back to Context and Clarity Live in our almost new time slot. I don't know how many weeks we go before we stop saying it's our new time slot, but this is what week three, I guess, of the fall season 
of Context and Clarity Live. So welcome back. We're glad that you're here. This is a time for us to have a conversation. By us, I mean Katie and I, who are on the screen right now, but also you, who are in our worldwide audience of Entrepreneur Architects. It's our opportunity to have a conversation with a special guest about the things that matter most to you the architect. It doesn't matter what your context is, there's going to be something to learn from the special guest today, something that you can apply to your practice and maybe even to your life. So we're excited to be back. I shouldn't say we, I am. I should ask Katie if she's excited to be back. But we are here. We're back. And Katie, welcome back. I'm glad that you're here to co-host this with me again today. How are things in Minnesota? Not so lonely because Mark's Not too far from where I'm at. So this is week number two. This is really unusual. Week number two where the Midwest dominates. We are. At least on the screen. (laughs) Right? Yeah. We we have it held down here. So the clowns to the left and jokers to the right. You got it right this time, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I've been studying and listening. (laughs) Got the Apple music playing. So welcome back, everybody. Glad that you're here. Our guest today is an architect, communicator, and a collaborator. He operates under, his whole firm operates under this mantra. We're going to get into this in a minute because I I am still convinced that there's chanting involved. He says no, but we'll get into that. He operates under the mantra of clarify, beautify, and simplify. He's a principal at... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, chef. (laughs) We're going to get him teamed up with Will Gerdara. We're going to do Mm -hmm. a, a dual episode here. He's the principal at Plaid in Minneapolis. Mark Stanky, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Hi, you guys. How are you? <laughs> Go ahead. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you here. I, I don't know if you notice this or not, and you're not obligated to look at the comments because I know those can be confusing and intimidating as they start to scroll by. But if you were to know where everybody was coming in from, you notice that right now, everybody is pretty much on the East Coast or the West Coast or close to it except for Coffee Sketch Podcast, who's in Flint, Michigan. So we have another Midwesterner, but it's up to us. It's up to us to hold yeah. uphold the Midwestern mystique here. I think so. <laughs> I agree, yeah. I was hoping that they'd bring, they'd bring weather, but LA, we got some of the LA weather going on right now. I believe we're in the 80s, which is kind of bizarre in Minneapolis right now, but looking outside and the leaves are changing and yeah, it's a bizarre hot and fall day. So. Yeah. yeah, same here. Actually, probably a little bit warmer here in Indy today. So I said that you're a principal at Plaid. That's P-L-A-A-D. Actually, let me throw that URL up on the screen there. If you want to check out Mark and his work, his office's work, and it's a great website, by the way. It does a great job of communicating. We'll talk about that, certainly. But there's the URL in the bottom left of your screen. It's Plaid, P-L-A-A-D platoffice.com. But what is, uh, it's not your name. I don't no. think that's an acronym. It's not like Skidmore and whoever those other people were. What's Plaid stand for? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. We started this firm about 10 years ago, and it's, it's, it is an acronym. It's Practice of Lasting Art, Architecture, and Design. And myself and my business partner, Matt Byers, and our team, when we first started, were a little bit more focused on multidisciplinary design. Mm-hmm. And we did quite a few architecture competitions earlier in our career. We still do from time to time. Some of those involve art competitions or an art element. So I think 
what we really wanted to focus on at Plaid is doing any type of architecture or design that affects the built environment and do it in a way that's lasting. We've seen a lot of architecture, other design out there that then this doesn't necessarily mean traditional or modern, but that it might date itself quite a bit. And we use this reference of a pair of Ray-Ban Wayfarers. Ray-Ban Wayfarers are cool no matter what decade they exist in. So our focus has more been on trying to tailor architecture and design that is has a lasting statement. So that, in essence, is why we're called Plaid. And it isn't based on my name. It's not based on Matt's last name as well. The idea here is that we want to build a collective of architects, designers, and just creative thinkers, interior designers as well, that build upon our strengths to create great projects for people. So we didn't want to make it about ourselves. We wanted to make it a little bit bigger than that and make it more of a plan for a larger future. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, especially with as many Tom Cruise movies come out, those Ray-Bans are not going away. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. No kidding. <laughs> so clarify, beautify, and simplify. Katie had it. She hit it right with the nail on the head. Yes, <laughs> chef. The visual I have is everybody in this office is chanting, like maybe dwarves or elves, <laughs> or, but they're chanting, clarify, beautify, simplify. Where did that mantra come from in uh, your firm? I will tell you, it came from a long time doing construction documentation and really what the goals are of what we're trying to accomplish. And I'd say we repeat it over and over again in the office. It isn't a chant, but from time to time when we're under pressure trying to get a CD set out or trying to get some sort of communication document, one of us will just yell, you know, clarify, simplify, beautify, you know, just as a reminder, you know, throw it through the office, clarify, simplify, beautify. I think it started, at least in my life, I went to drafting school before I went to architecture school and had a a job for a a number of years, as well as going through architecture school, working on getting production residential drawings out for different builders, which was not the most creative outlet, but I learned a lot. And it really is, in essence, trying to to get to the gist of it and turn out great drawings, turn out great ways to communicate that will get the built result done. And I think it all starts and we can break them down per category and what they mean and why. But I feel that, you know, one of the first hurdles in my experience doing construction documentation or trying to convey a design idea through drawings is to understand construction well enough to do it well. And that is a long road. And luckily, I cut my teeth in working as a framer and a finished carpenter and a roofer while I was going to drafting school. So I have a background in construction. So that very much helped. But all of a sudden, you get these wonderful technology, all this wonderful tools to detail, right? So the first lesson, which is going to be simplify, was, well, you get all of this information on how to put something together. And the the more you get better at that, the more information you start throwing on pages. Mm. And The challenge with that is, with technology, you can continue to throw more and more and more and more at these drawings. And at some point in time, you'll look back and go, hey, this is wonderful. Look at how much information I've got on there. But it's maybe not getting the point across because it's so much information. It's daunting to the end user or it's in different locations or it's not categorized well enough. So 
I think that was probably one of the first learning curves when it comes to mm-hmm. Clarify, which was like, hey, okay, there's so much information here, it's not usable. So how do you take all this information you have and distill it down into a set of documents that Ikea would put out to put a bed together? It's funny, we focus so much on construction documentation and learning from that when some of the best inspiration we've found is out there in furniture assembly documents and opening up a plastic model kit and see how they communicate how to put together a plastic model. Things that simple because they're doing it visually, they're doing it without words. And I'd say when it comes to clarify, it means you know cut out all that's not necessary to get the job done. So. I think that's where it started when I was younger and we probably developed the idea of clarify. And then through time, it became simplified, developed out of a a need for all of a sudden we have all this information. But I'll, I'll give you an example of where simplify came from. And simplify came from both Matt and I were on a job site in Colorado and I'm walking a trench with a couple inches of snow in it. And we're down like 12 feet below the top of concrete and there's a bunch of concrete crew gentlemen there like hacking away it's cold it's wet it's muddy and we typically do this both matt and i do this ask this of our trades people and like how is it going how are reading the documents and i got a not great response turned around and grabbed two sheets and he says this is the problem and I was like, what is that? This is a learning moment. And it's like, I've got an engineering drawing here and I've got your dimensions for concrete in this drawing. Why do I need two sheets at D size? I'm trying to walk around in mud with two inches of snow, trying to keep them clean. The fact that I have to reference two separate drawings is driving me insane. So simplifying, we always seem, we seem to forget. And that's why this gets yelled through the office is, We're in a climate-controlled environment, sitting in a comfortable chair, sometimes sitting, standing, whatever your desk is. No, don't want any like desk preferences to get shout out there. But the reason we mention it is you got to remember a lot of these tradespeople are standing in two feet of snow. They're in a downpour. It's 20 degrees out. They don't care about all of the other information. They just want to know to get to the gist. So simplify is like, don't forget there's people in snow boots and they had a tough night last night. Their kid might be sick. You know, whatever. Get to the gist of it. Let's make this efficient. Simplify. Get the rest of the information out of there. Or if there's information in two places, merge it into one and make it simpler to get to the information. So I'd say that's where Simplify probably came from. That came from one of those aspects. And then Beautify came from... I can speak to another story about Clarify, but yeah. Beautify gets down to the way you craft construction documents. And I think I learned more of this in drafting school. I had a really great drafting instructor named Jeffrey Childs who worked for John Howe, was one of John Howe's drafters who obviously studied under Frank Lloyd Wright and focused very hard on us with line weights and over and over and writing out lettering and all of these aspects. And we get into these new technology, these new programs. And a lot of times their graphic standards of how to read foreground, what's important is pretty poor. And by the way, we don't have this nailed. We're always working on this. This is a constant. And that's why it's yelled in the office, you know, simplify, beautify, clarify, but beautifying a set of drawings can actually make them more clear. So if you make them beautiful, if you use line weights to 
promote what's most important. If you use certain hatches in a way that denote what is a bearing wall, which is others that are not, being clear about concrete ledges, beautifying drawings can actually make a more efficient set, in my opinion. And now as technology has you know, come about, it's become even a bigger hurdle. And I think we could continue to talk about that in the sense that we're now using a lot of three-dimensional imagery. And we have these now 3D BIM smart models that are at our fingertips. And we're able to put into the hands of our job soups and our people pouring foundations. And I think where we're at now, currently, going back from where we started these, has been starting to use these 3D models in a way that they become almost like construction documents. So for instance, we're a, we're a Mac office. We are on Archicad. This BIMX model technology allows us to merge our construction drawings right into the 3D model. And why that's been important for us is for simplification, even if we have a very complex looking concrete sheet or concrete pour sheet, whatever you want to call it, or our foundation plan, we're able to provide a 3D iPad image of only the foundation to the people in the trench. So if there's any question about which step in the foundation is where, they can look at the plan, but they can also just quickly look on their phone or through an iPad and go, oh, that step happens that way. So conveying things in three dimensions can actually make it simpler, can make it clearer, can make it more efficient. And I think that's the dawn of where we're at in our office is how are we leveraging our three-dimensional information to make things clearer, to make them simpler, to make them more beautiful, to get to the point so people can get their jobs done more accurately and more efficiently. So there's a long tail on that, Kite. Sorry about that. But (laughs) I think that's the essence of where we started and why we picked those three terms. We feel that those three terms really help us keep on the tracks to keep these documents from getting too convoluted, non-readable, and or so elaborate that when we get bidding back, the house is twice what it should cost because people weigh it and they're like, I'm afraid to even bid this thing. Mm -hmm. So there's a bunch of little nuances with these three words that uh, affect your firm's performance. So, Yeah, we were talking about this before we went live because you had sent over some information ahead of time and I started looking at it. And and I, I love it. I love the clarify, simplify, beautify. And the question I sent back to you is, what about with change, right? Does change matter? And as I explain it, that's a little bit of baiting, but I'm immersed now on the innovation side of built environment, not just architecture, but construction tech and other things as well. And one of the things that I see all the time is that we have incredible technologies we were talking before that every single one of the startups that's going through the incubator that I'm running right now is AI driven. Every single one of them. We knew that would happen. It's expected. Yeah. Right. You know, there's, there's almost no tech out there that doesn't have some AI component to it anymore. And the danger, of course, I think, and you mentioned this earlier, the danger on some level is, wow, look at all of the information that we can get. And so you look at that from the point of view of construction documents, like you just said, we can cram more and more and more and more and more information. And then those of us that have had the opportunity to actually hold a, a linen sheet in our hand or something from a 
project from 100 years ago or 80 years ago, whatever it was, go look at how simple and clear these documents were pre-technology that we're thinking of today. The irony comes in that almost all of the real uses of technology are driving to simplify, right? Even if we keep it at a very simple level, you know, chat GPT, if you think that's what AI is, great. <laughs> that is a large language model. Yes, it is a it is a form. It is a type of or a piece of AI on a very, 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 very simple level. But what do we use chat GPT for? To parse information. All of the technology, when it's used well, is being used to simplify. It's being used to gather massive amounts of information and bring it down to, to one focus or something, you know, that's way general, but something like that. And so I think it's, that's what intrigues me about this, right? Clarity, beauty, simplicity, whether it's construction docs, you and I started with pencils in our hands, whether it's AutoCAD, Revit, or on the Mac side, ARCHICAD, um, speaking to you through a Mac right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, how does it apply to that? How will it apply to the future? I think there's a thread there somehow. Yeah. To your point, knowing certain folks in your office, and it seems like your office lets people play to their strengths. And so that simplify element doesn't mean you stay in one platform because not just one software has it right yet. It seems like you use Never whatever mind. is best for this greater goal. And so you will bring a SketchUp model 3D into your drawings if that's going to be the clarify, simplify, beautify solution for the design mm -hmm. that you're going for. Absolutely. And, and I've got... Oh, sorry, Katie. Go on. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Curious what other strategies you have. This is a very Midwestern had, moment, by the way. Oh, yeah. We... Four Midwesterners come to a stop sign and there's a bunch of... <laughs> you go, you go. Yeah. Um, I just die there. <laughs> I would love to make two, I think, really important comments, both on Jeff, your point, and Katie, yours as well, but two specific points. One, clarify, simplify, beautify, I think can exist throughout whatever the technology is. It's about communication. And I yeah. do agree that technology is here to simplify. And this is why I think this is so important to have this conversation today. Now, our architectural practice is very much invested in more than just this. This is just one aspect of how we execute and communicate. But we all have had these conversations about how architecture had been. We've been giving up a little bit of ourselves to developers or builders over time. And slowly the architect's role has been whittled or diminished I personally think that this is an, a new dawn or an opportune time for architecture to really take the reins again. We have a bunch of people coming out of school that are have all the technology and the, and the knowledge behind them to operate a lot of this and, and work with AI. And I think if we don't take advantage of it, if architecture doesn't embrace it and use it to simplify, to make ourselves more important in the realm of the built environment, there certainly will be developers, and not that, not that there's anything bad with developments and developers love them, but just there's other people that are going to take advantage of those, those opportunities to do with the built environment what they would like to do, whether that's good or bad. So I do feel like this is one of these moments we're at this crux where information is going to very much affect our practice. And I'm, I'm actually shocked that we're at this point now 
in our practice where we're using three-dimensional documentation on site. I think when I was in school, I was going, I graduated in the early 2000s from getting my architecture degree. But even back then we were talking about it. I just, I'm surprised it took this long. I feel like we're a little bit behind. We could be leveraging technology so much more through construction documentation or getting stuff built. So that's one point I'd like to make is I think this is a time that we all need to kind of step up and embrace it or else it will basically be another train that leaves a station that we don't get to jump on and make ourselves more value or bring a value add to a scenario. That's one thing. And the the other aspect was, I think, back in the day when we were drawing with pencil and paper, it was so much easier to control clarity, simplicity, and beauty because you were literally hand to paper. You were seeing it how that next person was going to see it. And we've gotten removed through telephone telephone, let's just call it that, but looking at it through a screen or a different scale on a screen than the person who's actually using it. And I think that has made it more difficult and complex to control how much power that the technology brings to create, clarify, beautify, simplify. That's why I think it's important to continue to repeat it. So those are the two things I did want to say, but I do feel like it's a moment. I don't know how both of you feel about embracing this, but I I feel like, Jeff, I know you're doing a lot with AI and that's very important to you in your world. And I don't know how you feel about architecture embracing this. Are we seeing that in other places or how are you both feeling about it? Well, I became an architect because I love drawing. I did hand drafting in high school. I'm like, I could do this all day, every day. And that's not how it is anymore. But... It's so I love finding excuses to bring hand drawing back into the process just because there's a certain aspect of that. And I think your firm does this really well. You have terrific designs that is evident with the design competitions and the things that you succeed at. It is incredible what you're able to do. And you bend the software to make sure that it communicates real things so that it gets built the way you design it. To explain it, I've worked with you, Mark, on one of your houses. I got to draft for a little bit for you. And hearing you say, face of frame. So make sure you're dimensioning the face of the frame. And then what else matters to the framer is bottom of beam and all of these factual things that it just simplifies it. It's like, okay, always to the face of frame. And then it gets built the way that you're drawing it. And so it's that awareness that was easier when it was just a pencil drawing a line on a page. And now it's harder to manage because you're wrestling all that information because I believe ArchiCAD's like Revit where the walls have all the layers inherently. And so you're wrestling that information to do and communicate that simple design aspect, but also you create beautiful details and you have to break the program a little bit because they don't necessarily want to make soffits or beams the way that you want to build the trusses because you don't necessarily model the trusses. So I guess a roundabout answer to your question that I do love that. I think you bring hand drawing back into the design, but you let that inform how clearly you're making the designs happen in the end. Thank you for saying that. That does matter. A trick to how you make that happen. (laughs) Small firm entrepreneur architects, get ready to build a better business with the Entree Architect podcast, where business meets architecture. 
Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, the host of Entree Architect Podcast. Join me every week for inspiring interviews with passionate people that share proven strategies to help you build a better business. If you think there is a problem, one, you can't make a move until you have a plan in place. The accountability chart really helps plan, okay, for the business six to 12 months out, this is what we need. We cover it all from financial management to marketing, sales, productivity, and beyond. There's two sides of it, right? So there's the one when you don't have any work. So you're like, well, I'm either gonna charge enough to be profitable or I'm gonna go go out of business. Or you have so much work and you have backlog and you don't need any more work. So you charge way more. I'd also say lagging measures, one of the best, like the best, best, best. (laughs) So for any client, for any professional service um, company, if you're gonna take one thing away from what we're talking about today, is to look at a number called the labor efficiency ratio. Entree Architect is not just a podcast. It's your secret weapon for success. With over 500 episodes, it's one of the longest running architecture podcasts in the world. You're sure to find the information you need to elevate your business. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now and join the community of small firm entrepreneur architects building better businesses. Here's the trick. I think one thing that I wish architecture schools were doing better. I really, really wish architecture schools were teaching the art of construction documentation and this way to communicate, but also the ability to understand how things are assembled. And in our office, along with the simplified, clarified, beautified, this is not one of those chants or a yes chef or whatever, but it's the art of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And I really think that is so important. Irregardless of the technology we use to get it done, you have to put yourself in other people's shoes. I'll yell this in the office too. Plans are for framers. You know, floor plans are for framers. Concrete plans are for concrete people who are doing concrete. The reality is, is I've been in this situation of being the person in the trench, being the person with the hammer in the hand. And at the end of the day, you don't care about those other aspects of the other parts of the drawings just get to the point of the frame. Why that matters in my world and why I think this is important is this gets back to simplify, clarify. We ask our team to think about the staging of construction, which is very, very important in the sense of once a frame's up, nobody cares about that wall surface that Archicad puts on. And here's why. The finished carpenter, that wall's there. They're going to be dealing with what is existing. If your frame is wrong, you know, it really doesn't matter about the rest of the interior parts. So we'll literally break up sets thinking about what trade is dealing with what. And I think that's very important to think through, especially with concrete, because concrete doesn't care about framing. They care about concrete. And once concrete's there, it's not moving. And one thing that has always bothered me in drawings is I see people reference and this is kind of something I mentioned. We do put elevation balloons on concrete slabs that may have slopes in them, but I'm very much all over people in the office about dimensioning off concrete ledge heights because slabs aren't there. So when a framer is there to measure a header, that slab doesn't exist in the middle of spring when there's just rock in the basement. we got to be thinking about staging and all of these other things. So yes, getting back to it, the other motto of the art of putting yourselves in someone else's shoes, when I'm placing this header, is there even a concrete slab there? 
when I'm putting this wiring in, do they even have an idea of what finish is going to be going on the wall? And then if so, you've got to be very careful about what information you deliver on that sheet that will, you know, in essence, deliver the best craft and the best foolproof results of it being placed in the right location. And doing that without overwhelming the drawings with information is a very difficult thing to do well, in my opinion. But Katie, thank you for saying that. It was very kind. But I think the art of putting yourselves in other people's shoes is a very important lesson as well. I'm glad you brought that up because this is, and I told somebody the other day, I did a, a keynote on AI and AEC a couple of weeks ago. And we were talking about this earlier. You know, if you go to your, and this is not a knock on AIA at all, but if you go to your local AIA chapter and you hear the presentation on AI and architecture, it's likely to be chat GPT and we're scared of this. And, and that's such surface level stuff that if that's what you're hearing, you need to go somewhere else and learn more because what's really going to be important about AI is how we leverage that how we leverage the tools and they are tools. And what's going to be really important for the future of architecture is how we bring the human, how we use those tools to affect the human. There was the district court case a few weeks ago. It was really about AI art and copyright. But part of the decision that was handed down was it requires a human to have creativity and therefore copyright. Right? The human has to be there. And so what we really need to be thinking about in terms of the tools is putting ourselves in other people's shoes and delivering a different, better, what we would call client experience by using these tools rather than thinking about efficiency, rather than thinking about how do we produce construction documents in different ways. You know, those are things that we think about a lot, right? It's like, oh, we're going to use test fit to iterate on designs. All that's great. I can't share much of this story that I heard today because it's privileged, but I heard somebody today talking about this and I love this idea, but they said that AI is here to push us. AI is here. The tools are here to push us to be more creative and to be better at what we do. And I thought that was just brilliant. And I think that somehow ties really well with what we're talking about here. I agree. I mean, I can understand why people are scared of it, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. But I also feel like with any of these negatives, there's always a positive. There's always the, yeah. the other end of the pendulum. So I don't know exactly where it lands, but I feel like we have so much catch up to do anyways. I think this new AI curve could be very helpful. And I look at it this way. We did a competition, I think back in 2014, where the solution, luckily I had the winning solution for this, which I was very thankful for, which was imagining a case study house 20, whatever it was, 25 years, 30 years, much less actually longer than that, 40 years later, whatever, from the case study house program, what does that look like today? And instead of leveraging the technology of steel and everything we learned from World War II, which is a lot of what the case study houses were focusing on, at least in my opinion. I kind of focused on the other aspect of technology, which would be the smart parts of AI or whatever that is with prefabrication. And in this case, it was a home that was 3D printed out of concrete 
pieces that eventually got assembled in post-tensioned chunks. And what's great is now we're 10 years out or nine years out from that, and there's the team in Texas that's 3D printing homes with the right concrete and the right aspects. So it's one of these, I think, lessons that if we're embracing these technologies, they are going to be used and they're going to be here to stay. It's just a matter of how you can you can leverage them. And I kind of get back to when we talk about detailing in our office, understanding construction is very important because it's learning how to walk before you run. It's not because you need to understand what has traditionally been done, but if you understand what has traditionally been done, it better equips you to understand how you can break the rules or use those traditional methods of doing things with wood, steel, whatever that is, to push the envelope, to break the rules, to adjust. So I look at it that way. Like If we embrace it, you're going to be more equipped to use it to your advantage. I love that. And you're really keying into that survival mechanism for architects is what you choose to put your time into. If you choose to put your time into going back and doing the drafting and redoing the drafting and keeping it in CAD and you're redoing the same work, that's no longer necessary. And so choosing to put your mental powers towards what does help advance the profession and really, I'm curious how you're going to continue to leverage. You've learned framing, you've learned concrete, How are you going to learn concrete that can be 3D printed? Are you going to take a sabbatical and go print some houses down in Texas? (laughs) Kind of of want to, yeah. I mean, MIT had a great project doing some items with 3D printed concrete. I also know there's a lot of technology with the use of bricks and drones and all sorts of aspects. But I guess I'm more interested in how do we streamline certain processes that can be formulaic and and use them to our advantage to create great design and just embrace it once again to break the rules. I would love to, if I had the time, to go down and go down to Texas and understand what they're doing down there with concrete. I think it's it's very impressive. But you look at that technology and see it in its infancy and go, oh, where is that going to go? I mean, there's it is limitless. I mean, obviously, they're fighting gravity and some other aspects, but I was just talking about this with somebody the other day. If you look back at the Wright brothers from where they started to the jet age, from what I understood, and I'm probably getting this wrong, but TWA, when they came up one of their newer jet liners, they were able to pick up one of their Wright brothers and fly him across the ocean. I can't even imagine in somebody's lifespan to see that kind of jump in technology. It's just identifying what's going to be the areas of growth. I certainly think you know, technology in relations to and relating to materials and getting things accomplished is one that I'm particularly interested in. But once again, we've got to embrace this. And I think it's very difficult for all of us architects. Like we're pulled in a million different directions. You know, Katie, Jeff, I know it's like, is it the design aspect? Is it deal, like having communication with clients, making sure clients' needs are felt versus, you know, what are the drawings that can put out the door and what gets built? We're pulled in so many different directions, it's hard to focus. But Katie, you mentioned this earlier. One thing about Plaid that we're trying to do is really let our team play to their strengths. So if somebody has an interest in something, they can be passionate about that. Because there's too many bases to cover, right? If one of us is interested in that, let's go for that. If somebody's interested in the entitlement process, they go for that. If somebody's interested in BIM technology, they're going for that. If somebody's interested in interiors and materials, they're going up to for that. And I think that's 
an important part of you know Plaid and how we operate maybe a little differently because trying to cover all bases will you know I'll just die of exhaustion I'll fall over someday but if we can all work together to get to somewhere like that that's important to us. I'm glad you touched on what a strong team you've attracted and you maintain and nurture just because that is another way to grow Plaid is to bring in that new knowledge and that new talent from different levels of careers to help strengthen your team. You know, and it's so much fun to watch somebody be just, isn't it great to watch somebody who's great at something that you're not? I I love being able to do something and see somebody on the team just pick something up and run with it or just they execute it perfectly. And like, that would have taken me forever. Or I just love the skill set you have, or I love that you have the passion for that, that you can execute in that way. It's so much fun to see people succeed in areas that they're not only have a passion for, but are very talented at. So yeah, absolutely. Just one brief thing on the 3D printed houses, I guess in full transparency, that is icon the company mm-hmm. that you are probably referring to down in Austin, that Correct. is one of our portfolio companies. So saying that, oh, but did you see 60 Minutes this week? They're working with NASA now, and they're talking about, you know, how do you take this technology to the moon or to Mars? So wow. you're going to see a lot of that. But I also think it's interesting, didn't plan to go this far down this rabbit hole, but I think it's also interesting to look at the impact that we can have. Right. When we talk about housing and housing insecurity, well, wow. I mean, we've got technology that can 3D print or we've got robots in panelization plants and, you know, so on. And it makes the industry safer, more efficient, you know, more affordable, theoretically, you know, things like that. So those are all fantastic. But if you want a, an introduction, I can make an introduction. You can, Would love you can that. go look yeah. at 3D printing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah, and it's, it's, cool. it's it will be this. I don't know what your experiences have been, but out on the job sites, our skilled laborers are getting older and leaving mm-hmm. the field, and that is a little alarming for me. It scares me a bit, and I look at it. It can go a couple of different ways. We need people to be very good at executing these homes. You know, how much does technology? fill in the gap of helping execute mm-hmm. some of these processes processes, versus having people step up, individuals step up and have the craft to execute some of these trim details because a lot of this becomes a lost art. I mean, finding yeah. really good plaster people, finding really good stucco people, it's, yeah. it is not as easy as opening up a Yellow Pages anymore. So I think technology plays a role in that as well. Yeah, I run my graduate pro practice class like a startup incubator and a couple of years ago we had a group of students that called their project ai apprentice is what they named it and they started from that exact premise that you were just talking about is you know we're losing the craftspeople. i think is probably how they said it and so you know one scenario is you pick i mean pick washington dc right with with all the the classical architecture carved out of limestone. And, and let's just say there's a disaster, there's a big earthquake or something. How do we reproduce if we reproduce? But how do we reproduce and repair the things that are there if the craftspeople are gone? Right. And so their idea was to use machine learning and, and AI. And then, of course, 
some sort of output, probably a computer-aided manufacturing or something, to learn from the craftsperson how this is done, learn how the plastering is done, learn how that cornice is coped, et cetera, and then be able to reproduce that, you know, through machine to AI to whatever the output is, the carving or something like that. I thought that was fascinating because it's talking about exactly what you're saying. It's when the skills grow so large and when the experience and those fine skills disappear because we're not teaching them anymore, et cetera, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do? How do we continue some of these things? And and ultimately, it's learning and communicating. Mm -hmm. You know, and and Jeff, also super important is craft is such a tricky thing to say because I don't want to bust this wide up and we're going way down a a rabbit hole here, but... So craft and AI and machines creating buildings, I think there's two things that I focus on that rattle around in my head. One is the human factor or human scaled things, Mm -hmm. knowing that a human touched them and created them and crafted something and the imperfections in some of that. Like one of my favorite parts about the Gamble House by Green and Green is you walk in the entry and they purposely, you know, made one of the joinery pieces imperfect to represent humanity, which I love because even though the house is absolutely perfect. So there's one thing about representing humanity, even though if machines are making this, and once again, this could be an opportunity for architecture to step in because if a machine is making it, we're no longer limited theoretically to the human body. Like a lot of our construction materials are really generated around the idea that a four by eight sheet of three quarter inch OSB is handleable by a craftsperson out on site. They can lift it up, put it on their back. And that's about as big as you can handle getting up onto a roof for roof sheeting. So there's a lot of logic behind the scale of materials and the idea of how you apply materials and how they're glued and waterproofing and weatherproofing. As we get into this new age where machines potentially could be crafting buildings, what does craft mean? Does craft mean it's created by someone or is it an opportunity to rethink craft where the architect, even though they're potentially using a machine to create something, there could be craft as seen in the design itself and how something was assembled, even though we're not any longer being limited by the strength of a human body and what a number of humans can do added together to accomplish something. It could be a much different skill. Getting back to like icon and 3D printed concrete houses, you know, it's not like there's one person going along with the squeeze bottle of concrete to create that as a giant machine that's doing it. So it really expands the idea of craft. It expands the idea of scale in craft. And that's going to be a very big, interesting conversation as we move forward. And is it going to relate and feel human to people? And if so, is there a place for architecture to help fill that void in craft to make make it feel more human-scaled or relating to humanity? So that's a, I think that's going to be, a, in my opinion, that is in the next few decades, how we move forward and how that how people feel about their built environment if it is executed by robots. What does that mean? So, I actually think that's a nice way to bring it all the way back around because I think if we go back to that idea that, you know, the use of AI and AI tools should really be pushing us. So let's just get this straight, right? The AI, machine learning and AI is going to mass generate mediocrity. 
it's going to take the average, right? It does not know how to create brilliance, right? It just draws from what's already here. And so there's no way, right? There's no way for an AI to create something phenomenal, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's where the human mind, that's where the human brain comes in. And I think, you know, that idea of using that to push us, Right. And the understanding of materials, and this is age old architecture, right? We studied this in school. It's how do I use these materials? How do I push the limits of these materials? How do I make these materials, use them in a more tactile way, in a more, you know, create human scale, things like that. And you think about Frank Lloyd Wright and you think about Corbu and you think about others or Mies, maybe going a, a little different direction there. But as you were saying that, it reminded me, we were, t- we were talking about 3D printing of the houses. I don't know if you've had a chance to tour the Lake Flato house in Austin that was really what put Icon on the map. Some of us in this group toured that in November. And when I walked in, I thought, my gosh, this really feels like Frank Lloyd Wright. This feels like Usonian architecture. Mm-hmm. The way that they figured out how to use the materials, and it wasn't this okay, the squeeze bottle squirts it out. I mean, certainly they figured that out, right? Certainly they started to understand the lifts and everything else, but tactile nature of it and how it intersects with other, or how we intersect other materials with it, that is a beautiful, beautiful project. And I'm not holding that up as like the future of architecture, but I think that thought process is the future, right? We can use the technology to push us to certain links, but then we're going to springboard off of that into whatever it is for the people that care. There are certainly people that just aren't, right? Hey, give me the cheapest, most efficient. The Those people already exist, right? We already have those people as clients sometimes. But for those that really want to continue to push, the opportunity is still going to be there, I believe. Yeah. And Jeff, you know, it gets me excited about that, that flat, Lake Flight House. And this is what I'm coming back to when I talked about craft. And I'm not trying to bring it back into that category. But what got me so excited is what I love about this is the tactile quality that that process creates. And that texture, what that wall looks like is unique and beautiful. And it's beautiful to its point of how it's created. Mm-hmm. And I love that. For instance, yeah. It's why people love board form. Board form concrete Mm -hmm. needed to be done because that's how it needed to be done. But people love that and it becomes tactile and human. Well, all of a sudden we have this machine building this and you get to feel, literally feel how it's constructed, which I love that about that. That's what I get back to of like, what's the bigger conversation about craft, Mm -hmm. making buildings feel human, natural and uh, applicable. So I love that. And that's a great project. I think that project is absolutely stunning it's what other aspects of materiality other outside of 3d printed concrete are out there that we can embrace when it comes to ai when it comes to all this other technology so yeah and does beautify simplify clarify have a role in all of that as time goes on i think it does but yeah that's thank you for sharing that because maybe someday i'll get a chance to go down there and check it out but it seems like a should a real special project yeah yeah you know, I'm going back, right? The clarify, simplify, <laughs> beautify. I think it does. It still applies, whether it's AI or a pencil or I think it's sort of, I don't know, is it the DNA? I think it's something 
there's something about it. There's some level to it that I think is sort of transcendent. And that's why I have enjoyed that idea in this conversation. Can I just say, I've also appreciated how you've talked about so many different trades and communicating Mm -hmm. all these separate threads, these loose threads that need to be woven together in the construction documents. It's almost like you're bilingual in how you're starting to weave them together and create that plaid pattern, something that's lasting, that will represent your clan for years to come. But it's fascinating to hear how you're weaving this together. I love it. Oh, well, thank you, Katie. That means a lot. And I didn't even thought of it that way, but I certainly appreciate that comment. And thank you. It means a lot. Sorry. I'm a bit of a plaid fan, if that's not apparent. I, <laughs> you, and you went all in on that. So. <laughs> yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it takes a village. It takes a big team. My dad always said, you know, you could be a CEO, but never be about pushing a broom. My dad was a pipe fitter here in the Twin Cities metropolitan area, worked in HVAC. I spent a lot of time on roofs, working with boilers, copper, sweating pipes. I will say this, I'm the first to engage people on the site. For instance, had recently had a conversation with the person doing the brake metal because I want to understand how it's put on. So we're drawing things that make sense. I always encourage us to speak with all of our trade team members and understand their perspective on how to get something done and coming back to the plaid thing that's lasting. We have to create things that are lasting and that can be accomplished. And the more you understand that, the more you understand how you can break the rules and do new things. So anyways, I appreciate that comment, Katie. And we're not perfect, but every day, once again, we yell those three things and try to get as close as possible. No chanting, just they're just the young. Not the chant. No chant. I don't know. Mark Arlapage might have platties. Oh, yeah. Mark. Yeah. Platties. I like yeah. it. We got to get some shirts made up, some, some there, swag. There you go. Yeah, you need it. You yeah. need it. Yeah, I, I still think at a holiday party or something, there's some chanting going on. But um, <laughs> this has been a fun conversation. And I really appreciate you, Mark, for bringing these three relatively simple words, but it's a big idea. And I think it's an important idea. It's something that I have told both my kids is it doesn't matter what it is you pursue or what you study. Communication is going to be at the heart of it. It's going to be the key to success. So thanks for what you do and all of the platies. And thanks for bringing this to Context and Clarity Day. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot, you guys. I greatly appreciate it. and It's been fun having the conversation with you and love the podcast. And just thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And for all of those out there, thank you all for being here today. We will be back again next week. And thanks, Mark. Thanks, Katie. Thanks, everybody in the community for being here. Uh, We'll see you back again next week. Until then, have a great week. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks. Well, what do you think? Did you hear something in this conversation that you can use in your practice or even in your daily life? If the topic of this conversation is of particular interest to you, I invite you to go over to the Entree Architect Network. It's a place where entrepreneur architects just like you gather to have conversations on these topics and support each other in their practices and in their lives. You can find the Entree Architect Network at network.entrearchitect.com. 
And if you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. You can also have the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week. Just give us a rating and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Your likes, your ratings, and your shares help us and help other entrepreneur architects like you to gather together. And you can help us build the largest worldwide community of small firm architects. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment. And it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope this conversation has inspired you to think about how you can build your business into something that allows you to practice the way that you want to practice. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.